Retail Relief, brought to you by BRC Learning. Hi, I'm Jagster Healy. Welcome to Retail Relief. This podcast is here to empower retailers with the knowledge, hints and tips to get through this chaotic time. Today, this individual brands herself as being a rebel with a cause. Her love for people and flashes of brilliance have excelled her to where she is today. She previously worked in Marks and Spencers for over five years and is currently a director at Zest Learning. Introducing Joe Smedley. Welcome, Joe. How are you? Thanks. I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. So please take a moment to introduce yourself to our retailers. Okay, I will do. I'll build on that uh, that great intro. Somebody else must have written that, Jags. Um, so yeah, I grew up in retail, as you've alluded to, and I did two stints at MS. So yeah, I did five years the first time and left for a couple of years to work for Capita uh, on their new business development stuff. And then I went back to Marks and Spencer's actually, and that's where I fell in love with um, the idea of leadership development and what I could do to help people be at their best um, whilst delivering very, very demanding, demanding roles, as well, you know, um, and then moved into FMCG. So uh, had a different uh, um, sector to work in, which was Arla Foods, uh, worked for them in the UK and then Global. So that was fantastic in terms of culture and inclusivity and all of those wonderful things to work as one organization globally. And then I did a stint at the Royal Mail Group, uh, where I was head of leadership development for operations, which again, great, great opportunity. And that led me to um, work with my business partner, Andy Paul, and uh, we launched Zest Learning in September 2016. And uh, yeah, never looked back from, from launching that business. It's been fantastic. And we've had a great, great network and clients and lots and lots of support so uh, so yeah really enjoying life at Zest. Amazing wow what a journey Joe. what a journey I think that's a uh, dropping in and out of retail I think a lot of people will be able to you know relate with that I think I've done I've done quite a few different years in retail and then dropped in but you always end up returning at some point so so let's focus on, on, on this horrific pandemic we're currently in. It's currently divided our retail landscape into polar opposites. Some retailers are thriving, others are sadly dissolving. This is a hugely volatile time for our retailers. So some people are overworking, some are on furlough, and unfortunately, some have even been made redundant. The term well-being is now so overused and sometimes feels like a buzzword that switches everyone off. The importance of the care and internal focus it should be bringing is losing its potency. So, Joe, shall we break down that word well-being? Yeah, I mean, this is really close to my uh, heart, Jags. So, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity to, to share some of my thinking around this. And, you know, again, uh, working in, in, in retail, working in any business, I, I don't underestimate people's intentions. You know, I've not met many people where people are ill-intended, Jags. So, just a caveat around people's um, great attempts to, to care for people and introduce this idea of well-being. But if we're not careful and we try and do a sheep dip, one size fits all with, with well-being, we then end up with fruit baskets that are going off in the reception. We end up with gym memberships that aren't being utilised because we make assumptions that, you know, what 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 would make us feel well will make other people feel well. And so I think we really need to start to just break it down and it not be an initiative, but be a way of, of being firstly ourselves and then with the teams and, and people that we're interacting with, because 
I suppose the question that we all need to get to get well versed in is asking ourselves, what does it take for me today, this week, this month to be a well being? And I know it sounds really simple, but that is so individual, Jags, depending on who you are and, and what you need. And often because particularly in retail service, it's about giving to others. It's about delivering on that bottom line. It's about return on the shareholder investment. And so we are constantly giving, giving, giving. And whilst lots of us thrive in that because it, it's aligned to our natural values and it's fast paced and it's exciting, we sometimes forget or have lost the art of just stopping to go, actually, I'm exhausted. And I think the pandemic has magnified the need for us all to just stop and take a minute to recharge. And I know certainly in the work that we're doing at Zest individually, collectively in, in organisations, it's relearning now what it takes to stop and be very aware of self and, and what you need and what you don't. And that there are no consequences for being you and stating that, that there's not a particular mould that we need to fit in. Because actually, if you've got a culture of care and you've been working hard at including people and you are attracting the right values within your organisation, then that's OK. And we should do more of it. There's no weakness within that. And I think there's still a little bit of stigma associated with actually, I don't want to show vulnerability because then, you know, I'll be out of the job. And again, that. You know, that's a caveat that's threatening a lot of people at the moment. I don't underestimate that. But I think the need to take care of self first before you can then carry on to give is absolutely critical, Jags. I think you break that down really well, especially talking about just breaking it back down into the simplicity of well-being. So, you know, thinking about wellness as a whole. We talk about wellness quite a lot and we talk about, you know, wellness of self, wellness of mind, wellness of body. Can we explore that a bit more? So when we talk about wellness, what does it really encompass? Yeah. And I think I like to go at it from what stops us, right? Because for years, oh, my God, the podcasts, the, the YouTube clips, the, the, the helpful tips, you know, the, the data that is out there on being well massive right so in terms of us not knowing about it um you know none of us are in the dark about this idea but clearly something stops us and i think it's this permission bit around i've termed it you know healthy selfishness because i think people get very hung up and when i'm doing the work with people and when i'm doing the research when we look at what stops people guilt what will people think if I if I go and take a walk at lunchtime, what will my team think? What will my boss think? So I think that what stops us is is the idea of fear. Ultimate fear is losing job, which is then threat to security, which is huge. Let's not ignore that. Right. Then another layer of guilt, because, again, role modeling, serving others. What will people think? And so we play these stories in our own mind, depending on our own definitions of what we term to be selfish behavior that we therefore don't want to take on and, uh, and demonstrate for others. So I think the work has to start with redefining this idea of in order to do all of those wonderful things, in order to be the parent, be the partner, be the boss, be the team player. We have to know what we have to do to top up. And we have to learn that more and more because the demands of life 
the global pandemic has just identified that under one big umbrella because we're all under the same umbrella, but it's been going on for years. So I think the, the, re, the way that we're talking about it now is because we're, we're under a shared spotlight with a virus. But actually, this is not it's not nothing new as a concept, hence why the data and the intention to try and fix people has been there. But I think it starts with what do I need to do to recharge guilt free, fear free, without associating a label on myself? Because in order to be really well, you've got to learn what you need to do. And hey, that can be as simple as I just need 10 minutes in the morning to have a cup of tea by myself or I'm going to go out before it gets dark and get some fresh air. And it varies from day to day, but not taking care of your own needs to just recharge that battery that is being drained constantly. I think that's when we're all in danger of, of impact on mental health, which, of course, is being reported on in the thousands um, as we speak, Jags, because we have got to check in with ourselves and see if we're OK, not OK, and where we can take some of those steps. And then the next level is, is talking. It's talking to friends at work. It's talking to people you can confide in that actually people aren't going to use that as a tool to hurt you with or to show up your vulnerability, that people will take that stuff seriously. And my personal experience is when you show a bit of vulnerability yourself, you get it back tenfold and you help somebody else in the process. So that's really where I think we need to start from. That idea of what do I need and how can I do that independently? And then if, it, if it's getting to a position where you can't help yourself, how do I then start to share some of that um, so that we really do support people at work? I think you mentioned a really important part, especially around the guilt. There is so much guilt out there, especially taking time for yourself. There's so much that people see as being selfish. And why am I allowed to do that when others may not have the ability to? Linking to that, there's a huge part around giving yourself permission. You know, even just consciously giving yourself permission to allow some space for yourself is so important right now because we're so bombarded by news by you know by all of this negativity that's creeping in everywhere and we're so on edge because we don't have a steady space that we're currently in that is safe we're not in a safe space right now and that's a huge part of what I feel that society is really getting to the space where people are so overworked or they're in a space where they're fearful of not getting a job or they may not have a job or they're in that process that they they haven't been able to give themselves that permission to say it's okay to take a moment for myself absolutely and as we know you know from from the studies with, with the brain i don't profess to be a, a psychiatrist jags but we know that if we are operating in fear or worry or anxiety the part of our rational brain shuts down and we are then you know in fight or flight mode and so that i the ability to see clearly you know so lots of phrases that are being used i just have got no headspace i can't see the wood for the trees um i'm panicking about what's going to happen next week never mind next year so be because we are 
working with anxiety and worry and stress and fear, it shuts down the part of the brain that allows us to think clearly. And so, you know, lots of stuff around just just stopping, just, just trying to breathe and be in the moment and ask yourself, what you know, what are my problems right now in this moment? And then, you know, help get, getting help to work through that and see them as, yes, that they are some challenges. But together in a, in a pair or a trio or a team, you can work through challenges. But being alone with what you perceive to be a massive stack of problems, um, you know, while you have fear or worry or anxiety at play, I just think that's the stuff that we've got to try and be aware of and spotting others. And, and reach out to help others because often it's a conversation. It's someone being listened to. It's someone being valued. Uh, it's someone being reassured that actually they're, they're not going crazy, even though it might feel a bit like that at times. But they are just worried. And often we, we, we don't want to say those words at work. We don't want to say I'm scared. We don't want to say I'm anxious. We don't want to say I'm worried for absolute fear of the stigmas that have been associated or we've experienced and observed happen when people have displayed that level of vulnerability. Now, there's a balance to be had, Jacks, because, you know, we, we have got targets to hit. We have got deliveries to get out. We have got KPIs that we're all measured against. And so there has got to be a balance internally with care and what comes from the heart and the head. And this, you know, hearts and minds stuff has been around for years and it's usually linked with where we need to engage people to, to deliver change. I think we need to be engaging hearts and heads on a day to day basis on every call, or on every email, to, to make sure that we're modelling that the balance of how we're feeling and what we're thinking. Um, because, you know, I don't think there's room for, for just the head and I don't think there's room for just the heart. I think we have to work really hard to get that balance of the two. You talked about vulnerability before. So you mentioned, and there's also an aspect of loneliness. So maybe let's have a look at the the leadership aspect so people who are in a place of leadership who are who have who may have been previously told they have to be strong for their team they have to come and act in a certain way even dress in a certain way you know but there are still companies that do that so if we talk about these people in these leadership positions who are now very isolated in their feelings thinking that if they show that vulnerability they may be seen as seen well being seen as less than what advice could you give them? Again, I flip it, Jags, and I think there's massive strength and vulnerability, right? There's massive power because I link, you know, showing a little bit of who you are with this idea of authentic leadership that's been banged about for years. So what does authentic leadership mean? It means I'm sort of being myself. And, you know, of course, there are extremes. So, you know, if we take an extreme vulnerability, you know, of, of shedding tears and sobbing and heartbreak, you know, when you're maybe chairing a conference call, that, that, that might feel uncomfortable for some. But equally, by just acknowledging, oh, I don't know about you guys, but this is how I'm feeling and this is what's happening for me. Oh, my God, does that set a culture of safety? Does that set a culture of somebody else going, I'm with you? Uh, you're not this robot, this machine, this untouchable person. You are actually human. 
And there's lots and lots of, of stuff out there now about human leading, leading as a human um, and making sure that we don't shy away from the magic and brilliance that it is to be a human, given that technology can take care of most stuff. Let's absolutely celebrate what humans can do. And that's that emotional piece, that emotional connection that's being in tune and going with what you're feeling and thinking and sharing some of that. I think there is absolute power in that. And we can cite the leaders that we look to that we would say, I like them, not because of the suit that they wear, not because they've demonstrated toughness, but because they have been themselves in the moments that have mattered, that people have then connected with and then supported and followed. So why do you think the word well-being has lost its effectiveness or even potency? And I think it links back to a little bit of what we were saying at the start that there's, you know, it's like any buzzword jags, you know, they come from a need. So, you know, that there is a need to address something because, you know, that there are there are problems and challenges that we need to address. And and so but I think it's lost as effectiveness because I think people can define it as it's this thing. It's this gym membership and it's run as an initiative within organizations as a separate thing to being human. When actually, if we just re-looked at our values, because most organizational values are pretty good because people spend lots of time and lots of energy on defining them, and we just start to live some of those, so we do care more and we do listen more, and um, actually there's value uh, associated with caring for your people. So. I look at the B corporations, actually, that are pretty good in this area, Jag. So this is a whole group of um, of organizations, different sizes, different scales, um, different sectors. But they are resetting their KPIs and they are setting them to focus on how do we demonstrate that we care for our employees? And that's not tick box exercise that runs right through culture, language, things that they get involved with, things that they don't. How do we care for our communities? You know, yes, how do we measure sales? But we're talking about impact and outcomes, not inputs and KPIs and historic data. So I also think that we need to start thinking about how are we measuring? Because that drives performance. And I would call out to all retailers to say, is there an opportunity just to fine tune what are we actually wanting to measure? What impact do we want to have on society or all with our consumers? Because some of the old measures, I think, are at a juxtaposition to this natural care that we absolutely need. Because, again, the irony, if we care more, then the, the hard measures follow. And, and certainly as a, as a small business owner, that has, that has been a philosophy and that has been the experience. And there are loads of businesses out there that are operating to this model, you know. But I just think we need to really adapt what are we measuring in terms of impact and outcomes as a result of all this amazing energy and effort? And are they the right things? Because if we breed a culture of being inclusive and really caring about people, and that can just be a quick question of how are you doing, but stopping to listen, I think this stuff will just evolve. And it already is, because whilst the, the pandemic is, has caused lots of horrific challenges for many, there's been an immense amount of absolute brilliance in terms of true tests of the human spirit for the positive intent um, and again a refocus on you know those services that are out there that we had taken for granted the NHS 
teaching, you know, food sector, um, huge, huge uh, newfound love for, for, for those services and the people that work there day in, day out. So I just think care more, genuinely care more and show care and, uh, and define it within your organisations and within yourselves. So we're starting to see a lot more of that from the companies that have started to show not just their values internally, but externally. So they flipped it where they are showing now what they care for externally and the difference they made during this pandemic. And there may have been companies that haven't showed that as much. We're now we're now in this space where people are starting to see businesses, companies, teams, leadership in a new light, but also starting to really highlight the humanness of us all. How can we re-energise the passion for looking after ourselves and each other? Well, I think you can kickstart these type of things, can't you? So, you know, as, as you'll sense from the conversation, I'm not a big fan of a one-size-fits-all initiative, but I am a massive supporter of working with the key themes and enabling people to interpret those in their, their own way. So, you know, some of the clients that, that we've been working with and, and, and clearly, you know, some of your clients too – you know, kickstarting a well-being weekend. Well, actually, who cares what you're going to do? But on that call on Monday morning, the first thing we're going to talk about is what did you do on the well-being weekend? And sometimes you have to kickstart some of these things so that the language and the permission and the culture starts to move from what have you done to how have you been? And I think if we can just switch the dialogue and the questions, um, and there's brilliant examples of, of that happening um, all across um, different industries and different sectors. But I think it's as simple as that. And I think it's it's the boss saying, well, I'm going to knock off early uh, this Wednesday because I'm, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go meet my kids. And it's not carrying shame or guilt. It's pride and vulnerability at its best. And then other people will go, oh, I went to pick up my kids. And the energy that people will bring back into work, if you have got good trust with your people, it will pay back tenfold. I mean, the reports are out there in terms of productivity has gone through the roof during pandemic. So this myth that people can't work from home because they can't be trusted, absolute rubbish. Productivity is sky high and people feel more valued when they are trusted um, than, than any sort of reward and recognition scheme that you can put in place. So I think it's about kickstarting it with the language, asking how you are, not what have you done in terms of deliverables. And I think it's starting to think about how do you just care for your people? You know, do you send a, a mug and a box of tea bags to the people in your team to say, right, let's get on for a, a chat. It is just a chat. How are we doing? What's going on? And I think you've got to start this by making some obvious statements that are comfortable and in line with you. But the payback, if you start to create some of those good habits and just flip um, and, and give equal attention to not just what you do, but how you do that. I think they are the businesses that have strived um, and thrived. They are the businesses that are demonstrating that actually this is the, the culture now where they can absolutely um, pay back and, and be at their best. So you mentioned people looking at reward and recognition and, you know, there are companies that are still screaming out for reward and recognition programs right now. But you're saying that it may be more effective to switch back to just taking a moment and looking at your team members individually, but also as a team, what can you do to just connect on a human basis? So moving from what have you done or 
or what have you what did you do this weekend to how were you this weekend how have you been this weekend because of the situation we're currently in absolutely and I think that that is it and it's that genuine care because let's face it we've all been in the busy 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 deliver 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 at all costs and uh, we ask don't we how are you hoping that they're just going to say fine because then we can move on to the what um, and I think this is the time so this idea of pressing pause for me it, it's around you know that the strength of a, of a leader has always been around the quality of the listening and listening has been so underplayed because you know the dominant voices um, can sometimes influence um, a culture but but those that really listen and get the insight they will know then what to do Jags because they are tuned in Firstly, to listen to themselves and what they need and then to the people around them that matter. And so I think that it's about not underplaying the listening, the genuine empathy and just making a bit of room to, to ask how people are. And to, to also make sure that you've got support and that you don't you then don't give out for everybody else, that you start sharing you know, with peers uh, and your team how, how things are for you. And people will pay that back in kindness uh, that you can't even imagine if you're sitting around trying to draw up a reward and recognition scheme for all. Do you have any advice that you can give to people who are struggling to press pause right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really difficult one. So, you know, firstly, before, you know, my uh, humble opinion, I suppose it's just empathy. Um, and if you are recognising that you are struggling, it, it's, it's not feeling ashamed about that because, you know, the work that we're all doing, the conversations certainly that I've had in the last four months, everybody has come onto calls or onto sessions saying that they are struggling. But because it's often one-to-one -one or it's in a high-trust relationship, people feel safe to, to say those words out loud. And then, you know, you can work through, obviously, you know, we do the exec coaching, which is helpful, but just having a conversation that feels safe. So I would just say, who do you trust? Who can you trust? Who can you take a chance on to trust? To just say, I'm struggling and this is why. Because we have all struggled and we have all had moments where we think, my energy is so low. I'm not sure I can get through the day today. I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to bring it for the next Zoom call or make the tea for the kids. So I think it's 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 really paying attention and valuing yourself enough to get the help that you need. And there's a variety of help out there. But I think it's got to start with acknowledgement of yourself and valuing yourself enough to then want to share that struggle and, and talk to somebody about it. Wow. Well, what a note to end on there, Joe. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time and energy today, Joe. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Take care. So what fantastic takeaways for our retailers from avoiding a sheep dip in well-being to healthy selfishness, from strength in vulnerability to genuine care and empathy. Thank you for the, the wealth of topics that we have covered today, Joe. So if you have enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe so you are notified when a new episode is posted. Share this podcast with your fellow retailers and colleagues to spread the word because knowledge is power.